Hello and welcome back to the Radix Research Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Nebenzal, and today I'm thrilled to be joined by David Polachek, Vice President of Asset Management at Orion in Denver. We're going to be talking about the Denver market today, and I'm really, really excited to have David on the podcast. David, welcome to the show. Well, thanks, Chris. I appreciate you having me on. I'm always happy to talk about Denver. To get us started, you know, Denver has had its fair share of new supply in recent years. Certainly new supply seems to be the story nationwide right now in multifamily. Rhino, Golden Triangle, Spear Boulevard come to mind as, you know, some of the supply hotbeds right now in Denver. But we don't seem to be struggling with new supply quite as much as some other markets down in Phoenix, Salt Lake, Austin, and uh, some of the southeastern markets. Have you seen the construction engine slow down in Denver or is demand stepping up? How are we outperforming some of these markets? Yeah, no, that's a very relevant question. And uh, as as what I call myself, one of the few natives left in Colorado, um, I've certainly seen uh, construction, you know, change quite a bit, specific, specifically in the last decade or so. To be honest, I, I think there has been kind of a spur on both sides of this, right? Um, on the construction side, I think we have seen a little bit of a slowdown in the actual units being delivered. Um, I think some of that is just a result of economy, but you know, also you're hearing a lot of kind of the undercurrent of the construction trades, where it's a lot harder to get the electricians and plumbers and all that that are needed to put some of these multifamily projects together. And then certainly along that same line, I think Denver has always been one of those um, cities that has been able to continue to construct year after year. I mean, I think the last three years we've delivered more than 8,000 units every single year and have been able to, for the most part, absorb those. So while it might be slowing down, we might have seen some of that in the last year or so. I I think it's going to continue to crank. um, And I I think we'll see some of that improve um, as as things move along. But I I really think it's the dynamics of the inbound relationship of the amount of people that are moving to Colorado that continues to help spur the need for the construction and that supply demand imbalance, um, but also just the ability to continue to move forward. I'm glad you brought up the migration discussion. For a while here in Denver, we saw nothing but California license plates and Texas license plates and everything else. How is migration holding up? Is it still as strong as it was, say, five, six years ago? Decide on which side of the metric you want to look at, right? If you look at the inbound migration metric of that, right, you are seeing still lots of people come to Denver. Um, and, and I think last time I had looked, we're expecting another 90,000 people to, to come to Denver in the next four or five years. Um, so from an inbound migration, there's still lots of people coming here. If you look at it from a net migration standpoint, that situation is a little bit different. We are seeing, and I think we saw in the last quarter, that that kind of net migration actually go to the negative, where actually more people moved out of the state than moved into it. And I think some of that is just a re- result of some of the affordability concerns, but also you know just changes in overall kind of uh, dynamics regarding those who are choosing Denver as their city. So I, I do think that that will continue. I mean... I love it here. I have I see no reason to leave. And I think you ask, ask 10 people that in the, in the state of Colorado, most of them would say, I want to stay here. Um, and so I think people tend to want to come here and enjoy what Colorado brings. Do you see the migration trend taking place more on an urban to suburban um, or even to some of the smaller cities, be it Colorado Springs, Fort Collins, um, and some of the suburbs filling in along the I-25 corridor? Or do you see more of the migration truly being Denver to uh, to another state? Yeah, I, I think it's a little bit of all of that. I mean, Denver is pretty, 
pretty packed, right? I mean, there's not a lot of available land. Um, you know, most of those have been uh, taken up um, recently with uh, with unit deliveries. And so really the natural plan for that is to expand. Someone asked me this the other day and I was like, well, you can't expand west too much. Those mountains are going to get a little bit in the way. So what direction are you going to go? And I think that tends to follow the highway infrastructure, right? You've got I-25 running north and south. And so being that as a major vein, you see that starting to spread north and spreading south, um, which I think will continue because you look at every metric from work from home population to just the ability to get around Denver and you really can live anywhere in the metro area and still be within 20 minutes of Denver. So you don't need to be downtown necessarily to enjoy all the aspects of downtown. You can live you know, 20 minutes south in those kind of areas and still have great access. Absolutely. And and so what submarkets or what neighborhoods are you seeing as some of the strongest growing submarkets uh, at this point in the cycle? We're seeing a lot of that growth. It's certainly south of the city. I know Douglas County, I happen to live in Douglas County, is is one of the fastest growing counties that, that's going right now. And, and you see even that kind of stretch down into the Castle Rock areas. You're seeing a little bit in Arapahoe County, which kind of borders uh, Douglas County to the north and goes out east a little bit. And then you're starting to see some of it a little bit less, but up in the Broomfield kind of area there, as you kind of go up US 36 there, you're starting to see a lot more in that area and up I-25, um, you know, towards the Lovelands and Fort Collinses and so. So you mentioned the the I-25 corridor. T- tell me a little bit about the infrastructure that's being built in and around Denver to handle this growth. What we've seen, not just in I-25, but the I-35 corridor down in Texas, you could make the same argument for the I-95 corridor in, in New England, all the way down to the Mid-Atlantic to DC. Growth can either be helped or, or stifled by infrastructure development. Tell me a little bit about what's going on in the front range, what's going on in Denver to perhaps help that growth continue. Yeah, I mean, um, Denver, I, I, I should have say attempted to kind of get ahead of this a little bit. Um, there was the whole, what they called the T-Rex project that happened years ago, where they did this big expansion and as someone who lived through that, right, you were like, well, why do we need to expand these highways in the way that we did? And, and a lot of that was to put this in place, knowing that there was going to be more growth north and south. And so I think I-25 was kind of preset up for that. But I would also say that our, the infrastructure around the light rail system, uh, the above ground subway that we have here, as I, I, I deem it, um, as that has expanded south and north, has given more flexibility for those who maybe don't want to get in a car and commute can still get that access very easily. Um, I know they put a station down here uh, right off of Ridgegate and I-25, which is kind of in between Castle Rock um, and uh, the Lone Tree area, and they did the same thing north uh, as well. So I think there's different ways that they've expanded that. Um, you know, if you look at E-470, the tollway, that has expanded quite a bit, and they're doing a lot of expansion on that which I think will create another vein that could be untold at some point. Um, so I think in some ways we have that. And in some ways, I think we're just going to have to continue to advance as, as more traffic happens and as more expansion happens to make sure that you can truly still have that 20 minute to Denver experience that everyone kind of looks for. Yeah, that, that's a great point. I remember when they brought the train in from the airport as well, and that was in line with some of those light rail expansions. It was a, a huge boost for for that whole uh, Aurora, North Aurora submarket as well. And you've seen a lot of development kind of fill in in that Green Valley Ranch area. Uh-huh. Are you optimistic that they'll continue developing, be it road infrastructure or rail infrastructure as the city continues to grow? I feel fairly confident that they will continue to expand that. Um, I mean, 
once you start kind of building it, it, it makes it a little bit easier to, you know, add those little points on, right? It wouldn't take much to take the Ridgegate South one down to Castle Rock, which would be, I think, the next big expansion in the same way up north to take that farther into the North Glen area or into the Aurora area. So from a light rail perspective, yes, I think the main highways of I-25 and E-470, I don't see those changing. Will I see more people using them? I think so. I think we'll see more of that expansion. And you're used to that in the Texas and areas, right, where there's plenty of tollways and people are leveraging those as their easier commutes as they look to move north and south. Bringing the conversation back to multifamily, uh, how have you seen the Denver market performing from a, a workforce housing perspective and a class A perspective? Certainly a lot of the new supply has been class A, but how are those two uh, property classes performing compared to one another? Yeah. Well, typically you don't build class C properties, right? You build class A. <laughs> and so I, I, I tend to think of them as uh, as almost two different beasts. Um, and, and I think you're not typically sharing the same demand patterns that are looking for a class A that are looking for, let's say, a class B or C that tends to be more of that workforce housing. And if you look at it from an affordability standpoint, right, there's still a lot of flexibility towards that workforce housing that, that certainly aids that. So with that said, I would say... I think there's still a lot of overall kind of demand and need for that workforce housing. And I think that has continued to play very well um, within this market. Class A, I think there's still a lot of, of need for that as well, right? I mean, a lot of people can't get the houses that they want, right? Um, and with interest rates rising, that has pushed a lot of people out of kind of the single family home space and need to jump into the more of the multifamily space. And so I think that has helped spur that class A a little bit to just be able to have that kind of inflow of those who are looking for a house and, and probably have a larger kind of budget to be able to spend on that against that. I, I was looking at something the other day and it's like the cost of a house in Denver is almost three times the natural national average there. And so you think about just what that cost of ownership is and that barrier to entry. Um, I think that is helping both the workforce and Class A housing right now to continue to stay full and absorb the units that we have delivering. Absolutely. Uh, and to that end, what do you see in terms of the, the single family rental build to rent space versus traditional multifamily? When single family kind of started to kind of spur itself within the, the multifamily space, I used to call it horizontal multifamily because that's essentially what it is. I, you know, I was like, oh, I'm not sure this will catch on, but I think there's more of a need for that, right? I mean, to my point that I just you know, was talking about, you have people who want to have a home and an apartment doesn't quite work for their lifestyle, right? And so they want that, that certainly kind of comprised garage and so forth that you tend to get with a single family. So I think there will be more of that coming forward. And I think we'll see more of those communities spur out as that, that need is still there. Because I don't see interest rates coming down anytime soon. So I remember over the past 10 or 15 years, you could almost watch the growth exit by exit. You know, another year, there'd be another exit down I-25. Two years after that, there was another exit and, and a number of homes, many of them for sale, single family, but I'm sure there were, was BTR mixed in there as well. And so given the demographic shifts that we're going through, I think, I think you're right. BTR is, is positioned fairly well. And I mean, those areas will help support because they have the land access, right? You're not going to be able to build one of those in the, the suburb of Denver, right? Because you're going to have to go somewhere where you have available land to do so. And and right now your options are to go further out east towards the airport or go north and south where there is still available land off those individual exits. Great point. So you sit in an interesting position as an asset manager, as the head of asset management, You've got an angle towards the property management, the operations. You've got an angle towards the ownership side. 
Tell me about what you're seeing right now, given interest rates uh, in terms of multifamily transactions, the multifamily, um, perhaps the investment market right now, in light of some of the the headwinds we're seeing from an operating perspective as well. Yeah, um, I, I kind of put myself in this interesting perspective. I actually started my my uh, my journey in the multifamily space as an operator and have kind of moved more onto the now the ownership side of this. Um, so it's nice to be able to see kind of all the different ways that it that it works, but. Um, you know, right now, from an investment standpoint, it's 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 tough out there. Um, it's tough to make things pencil with the interest rates that we currently have, and certainly, um, you know, some some uneasiness regarding, I guess, the economy is the best way to put it. Um, you know that 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 is changing the way that investors in multifamily are are looking at those investments. And um, if you look at the last fifteen years that were just so fruitful in this space. Um, you have a lot of people who are looking for those higher higher returns that we've been able to experience. And now that that's starting to shift a little bit, I think it's making people a little bit more cautious to, to pull the trigger, um, despite that, you know, multifamily is shown to be such a great investment year over year, despite these kind of slight ups and downs in the overall economy. So I, I think that will that will give. I think uh, you'll see more movement in the space in the next year than we saw in the previous year as people just get more comfortable to where things are at and and hopefully inflation starts to, to correct itself a bit there. Overall, I think there is still a very rosy outlook for multifamily. Um, right now, it's just kind of that low point where we're trying to trying to see where there, there's opportunity to hit. In your career in Denver, have you seen a shift in capital flows? Who's investing in the market, either the type of entity or the domicile of the entity, what can you tell us about kind of the capital interested in being or getting into the Denver multifamily market? Yeah, I mean, my experience is that everyone has really tried to get into the Denver market and those that are not here want to be here. Um, and I think to our entire conversation today, right, there's a lot of reasons to say yes to Denver and to invest in Denver real estate. And so I don't know that that's necessarily changed that. I mean, if you look at the distribution of investors within multifamily space in Denver, you see everything from the REIT space uh, to the individual investors to various funds that operate within the Denver market. Um, so I don't know that that's changed and I don't know that it necessarily will change. I think the overall investors in multifamily are be just becoming more wide. And I think more people are seeing that as a good investment than they ever have. And so I think you'll see more new investors jump into it. But I think the original or OG investors are still very much active in Denver. What are some of the other large demand drivers for multifamily that you're seeing in the local market? Yeah, I think uh, certainly some of that comes to the individual jobs that are being created here. Um, I mean, I think there was 25,000 jobs that are, are set to be added within the state this year alone. Um, and a lot of those are higher paying jobs, certainly allow for maybe a, a, the lifestyle that you kind of want to have here in Denver of being able to ski and play. And so some of those tech jobs, you know, some of these large corporations who have kind of chose the headquarters here, you know, example, Charles Schwab um, brought one of their main headquarters here. You've had quite a few different construction companies and, and so forth that have kind of took huge roots here. And so I think when people see some of that expansion and see some of these large companies saying, hey, I want to put my footprint there, I think that drives people to say, okay, this is this is probably where I want to be. And, you know, I'm in this tech sector, I'm in the construction area, I'm in, you know, more of those professional services type jobs. I think that's where you've seen that flock to not only Colorado, but I think Utah is also a great example of where we're seeing that happen as well. So we've talked about a lot of the, the reasons for optimism, the strength in Denver. 
Are there any dark clouds on the horizon in your mind for this market, whether they're macro factors or, or more localized factors? Yeah, um, I was trying to think of if there would be, you know, as we refer to dark clouds, I tend to be more of an optimist when it comes to these things. But uh, no, I mean, um, you know, the state of the economy will continue to be kind of that underpinning, I think, across the nation regarding multifamily investment. Um, you know, we have to see some of those interest rates uh, change a little bit. Um, I think there's also an undercurrent of uh, insurance. Um, within a lot of states right now that certainly has a large impact on the multifamily space and just being able to truly insure these properties given changes in climate and so forth. So I, I would certainly put that on the list. But there's also other things, you know, I mean, the, how, the price of houses, right? If that were to change materially where uh, property values go down and you see more people maybe jump out of multifamily into single family homes, that could have a material impact within the multifamily space. The only other one I'd, I'd kind of probably put in that same bucket would just be, you know, the overall kind of Colorado legislation. We've seen some of the new laws kind of come into the space that maybe aren't pro apartment owner um, within this, but certainly I think on the flip side helps the overall renters that typically rent here. And so hopefully we don't see too many more changes that would negatively affect the multifamily investment. But, you know, it's something to always keep an eye on of just kind of what the overall legislative uh, effect is. That's a great point. And certainly Colorado has been a, a purple state for the better part of you know a couple decades. Mm -hmm. Do you see that shifting and, and without getting deep into the politics, what could be some of the, the continued challenges for multifamily? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that it'll ever fully shift uh, to one side or the other. I think uh, a purple state is kind of where we tend to, to stand in within that. But if you look at where some of the inbound migration is coming from are typically more of um, the blue states. Uh, you know, we've seen a lot of that from the from California and so forth. And so I think that can sometimes change the dynamics a little bit of Colorado. But I think the main one that that I kind of keep my finger on a pulse for is, is the overall kind of aspects of rent control um, that you see a lot more on that West Coast. Right. Um, and, and we have some of that here within Denver already, but that is certainly a supply killer, as I like to think of it, right? You, you start kind of putting more of those controls in that are supposed to help affordability, but have shown time after time to really affect the overall supply side of the equation versus the overall kind of price equation of that. Um, so just something to always keep your mind on uh, as we think about any politics changing here in Denver. Absolutely. And, and oftentimes the, the supply can be the counteracting force to yeah. rent control. Obviously, supply has kind of a natural effect to bring rent growth down in, at times. Certainly 2021 right. was an anomaly, but it's, it's interesting to see kind of both sides of, the, of that coin. In places where there is rent control, supply usually falls very quickly. In places with high supply, you oftentimes dispel the notion of rent control because there's kind of that natural limiting factor right. on rent growth. So. Yeah, certainly something to, to keep our, our eyes on uh, in the Denver market as, as we move forward. David, I'll get you out on this one. I'll, I'll give you the last word. What's your view in terms of Denver's multifamily performance over the next 12 to 24 months? How do you see the market unfolding? I think it will continue to flourish. I think we will see uh, a little bit of a dip in the overall kind of uh, rent growth um, over this next kind of 12 months. Uh, but honestly, I think once we get past 2024, uh, road to 2025, I think looks very rosy in that respect. Um, some of that will just be that uh, absorption of the units that are being delivered. And I think just the catch up of the jobs that are coming into to play and so forth. And certainly, uh, I would expect some changes in the economy that will kind of help help that as well. So 
I honestly think Denver continues to be a great investment and it's certainly a great place to be. David, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I've been joined today by David Polachek, Vice President of Asset Management at Orion here in Denver. Thank you all for listening to the Radix Research Podcast. And David, thanks again for being here. Thanks, Chris, for having me.